0: All medicines have, you know, risks and benefits and cannabis is no different.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. In this episode, we're chatting with Dr. Hart, who has a decade of practice in cannabis medicine and is currently the COO of Optimine Pharma, a publicly traded company which focuses on psychedelic treatments. Furthermore, he has an academic background in nutrition and a lifelong dedication to fitness and wellness, which he integrates into his personal practice. Before we get started, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or affiliates or parent company. Hello, Dr. Hart. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on, Morgan.
1: Yeah, we're excited. We've never had any like cannabis experts on this podcast, if you can believe it. So you're like really filling a segment that we needed in our life. But all right, you got to rhyme for me. How how did you get here as this like cannabis psychedelic expert?
0: Sure. So, uh, you know, a lot of people it actually comes back to a little bit of a personal history. And it takes me back maybe 10 or 12 years so when I was doing my residency um, you know I was going through emergency uh, room rotations and you had to be up at like four in the morning and so I realized like holy shit like I'm gonna have to go to bed you know so early to be able to get up in the morning and so uh, what happened was you know I, I knew that you know I didn't want to take any sleeping pills and you know there are a lot of dangers to sleeping pills we can certainly chat about that that's something you want to uh, discuss today um, but you know I understood that you you know cannabis was something that a lot of people use for sleep i had you know used it uh, previously mostly rec- uh, recreationally up until that point. Uh, but you know, what happened was I use it very successfully myself and I was able to, you know, go to bed at like, you know, seven PM, wake up at, you know, three PM, feeling very refreshed. And the way that I was able to do that was uh, I used cannabis. And so through my own use, I just knew that this is something that could definitely be used for sleep. Uh, and then when I started to see patients in my practice, uh, and when they, you know, were saying that they were having trouble sleeping, I just, you know, wanted to tell them to another option that they may have had in addition to the ones that they were getting. And so through that, uh, you know, about a year after I started practicing family medicine, it became a lot easier in Canada to be able to prescribe cannabis. And so I jumped on that train right away. And I saw, you know, so many people uh, that I would see for, um, you know, sleep disorders, whether it would be from, you know, PTSD, which we can also talk about, or just plain insomnia or, you know, anxiety-related insomnia. Um, you know, they weren't necessarily getting the relief that they were looking for with a lot of the sleeping meds, And I knew that cannabis could, in fact, be effective for those people. And then I saw in my practice that, you know, a lot of people had excellent results. And then, you know, one thing just led to another. And then uh, I started exploring it. Uh, for a lot more options as well. But that's how I got started. It was really that I knew that it was effective for sleep overall. And uh, I just knew that, you know, I had to start prescribing this instead of some of the medicines that, uh, that I was prescribing.
1: Yeah. I mean, Ambien, you wake up and feel like a zombie, I don't know. And they're highly addictive. So I could see how that would be beneficial. So then where did it expand from there? Like it obviously moved beyond sleep and like, what is your practice specialize in now?
0: So I'm a family doctor but I do, you know, a lot of different things. So I do ketamine therapy, I also do, you know, cannabis therapy like we like we just discussed. Uh, I do testosterone replacement therapy for for men and women, but you know, in terms of, you know, cannabis, the applications I think just kind of grew because I didn't understand how it could be effective for so many things. Like I had no idea in medical school that like CBD oil could be effective for people with like seizures for example, right? And so through my uh education, you know, uh, and through chatting with patients, I just learned that I had, you know, many more applications than just for insomnia. So, that developed into a lot of uh, treating a lot of patients with chronic pain and also, too, you know, those go hand in hand, meaning that chronic pain sometimes causes insomnia and then also, too, when people have insomnia, they just find that their pain is, you know, less bearable the next day, so it kind of makes the chronic pain worse. So, um, you know, I just understood that there was you know, way more applications than, than, uh, than just, uh, sleep. And then the other thing too, is that you learn a lot through your patients. So like you prescribe it for someone and, you know, they may be taking it for say pain, but they'll also say, you know, even though I was taking this for pain, you know, my sleep was actually way better and I was in actually way better mood the next day. And I felt like I just had less anxiety overall. So, you know, not only was I able to get rid of my sleep, meta uh, my, uh, my sleep medication, but also my pain medication and perhaps something else as well. So, you know, it just seems like the, the applications for it were, you know, uh, significantly growing. And, uh, even today, you know, we still don't know all the, we don't understand all the cannabinoids. I think as we do understand more cannabinoids, there will probably be further applications as well.
1: Yeah, and you were on Joe Rogan and you debated Alex Parensen on just cannabis and its efficacy. But you said something to me before we started the podcast that I just want the audience here. You said you get as many people on cannabis as you do get off cannabis. So like talk to me about that.
0: Sure. So, you know, all medicines have, you know, risks and benefits, and cannabis is no different. And I think if we want to legitimize it as a medicine, then we need to talk about the risks and we need to talk about the benefits. So, you know, we do know that for example, if you use and when we say you know, cannabis really talking about high THC because CBD is is in fact pretty benign overall. But if you're using high THC, what is high
1: tri- THC even? What even is that?
0: So, so high THC, so tetrahydrocannabinol, that's the active uh, compound. Right, what's
1: considered high. high? Like ten milligrams, twenty milligrams, I guess.
0: Yeah. So I mean, there's no real like uh medical definition for that. Like some people might say, you know, 15% THC from flowers, but other people will say, no, it's gotta be like 30%, which is, you know, ridiculously high. But you know, for uh for most people, I would say they would say maybe 15 to 20 percent of THC is is relatively high. And then I would say you came close and the nail on the head there with 10 milligrams. Like, you know, I think once you get beyond that, you came potentially have the bad experience if you are someone who's susceptible to like paranoia and that from, from cannabis. So, yeah. So
1: what kind of people are, are there people that come into practice and you're like, you actually should probably like quit the cannabis?
0: Yeah, for, for, for sure. Like if, if someone is, uh, you know, below the age of, you know, 25 really when they're below the age though, like of like 21, 19, that's when it's really dangerous. Um, I think if you're using cannabis at that point, like you may in fact be, you know, setting yourself up for potentially developing like a mental health disorder later on in life because, you know, we do know that using high THC cannabis during adolescent years is not good for you. So, you know, for those kind of people, um, you know, I definitely try to steer them away from using high THC. Now in that category though, I do want to be clear. I do think CBD is a very effective medicine. And I think that, you know, this is also goes back even down to the age of like, you know, toddlers. Like I do think that CBD can be effective for, For children, and I've seen it be effective for children. So, you know, I just want to make that point clear. I'm talking about THC. Um, And then also too, you know, if people are only using high THC and they're using ridiculous amounts of cannabis, like they're smoking, you know, like five grams a day of just like high THC, then at that point you have to wonder, like, are they using the THC to actually treat something, or are they using the THC because they're just dependent on THC? So, avoid
1: Yeah. So there's
0: a couple different yeah. scenarios like age is definitely one thing and then the abuse of of thc but again i know as i i was trying to be clear earlier but i just want to say again like cbd is not the same and that could definitely be used safely um in in you know children so I uh, yeah. just make that point again
1: for sure um very cool and then you mentioned ketamine therapy so tell everyone what ketamine therapy is
0: cool so uh ketamine is something that i've been doing now for about four to five years uh, it helps people with a lot of different things, but mostly, again, for a mental health and also for chronic pain, probably more for mental health than, than chronic pain, I would say. Um, so uh, the way I prescribe ketamine is I give it to people orally. Now, if you look at most of the studies online, most of them are in or a lot of them are in patients' IV, but there are more and more studies now coming out that's saying that oral ketamine is actually just as effective, so you don't necessarily have to get hooked up to an IV to get it. But ketamine often gets grouped into psychedelics, but technically it's actually not a psychedelic. It's, It's an anesthetic, but it just seems to produce, you know, a lot of the similar mental health benefits as some of the psychedelics do, and so I feel that's that's kind of the main reason why they get grouped together. And also, too, you do have you know a pretty big you know change in your consciousness when you do take ketamine. Um, so it is a medicine that is you know going to make you feel uh, quite different than your normal baseline state. Um, but you know the way that I prescribe for my patients is through a sublingual lozenge. So the patients would take the lozenge and then they just kind of let it dissolve in their mouth. It's not something that you swallow. So it's absorbed sublingually. And then, uh, you know, that medicine actually kicks in pretty quick. Usually about five to 10 minutes. And then it will probably reach its peak within about 15 to 20. And then, what people have then is, um, a little bit of like, of a dissociative effect. So that's the best way I can describe it. Like it's very hard to describe, like, you know, what does, uh, a drug feel like? It's, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to describe, but the way that people will describe it is a very, very dissociative. And some people kind of say that it's a little bit like a light alcohol intoxication, but the dissociation is, is the big thing. And then people, uh, after about two to three hours, are mostly back to baseline. It might linger on a little bit further than that. But, you know, after people, um, you know, try the medicine, they usually feel, you know, significantly better that day or the next day. And it has rapid effects for uh, for treating depression. So, that's the main reason uh, why I use it and how I use it.
1: And is it like, I had someone else on who we spoke about ketamine therapy a little bit, but you, like, it's not something you take then every day, right? Like, it's
0: No, no. So you can, there's a lot of different ways to take it. So I do have patients that will take it at home. Um, and then I also have patients who will take it with a psychotherapist. So, you know, when they're with someone, they can obviously use higher doses because when you're at home, you know, I want my patients to be safe. So I'm only using very, very low dosages there, but still with low dosages, you can still get a pretty robust effect overall. But, you know, the best way to do it would be to do it with therapy uh, because that way um, you can use higher dosages. Which means you can get just more of a pronounced effect from the drug itself, but also to, you know, generally, what happens is the same thing that would happen. Say if you're using, you know, psychedelic drugs uh, like like MDMA, you tend to just bring things up that you wouldn't otherwise like bring up before, um, and then that kind of makes the therapeutic session um, a little bit uh, better overall. So some people, you know, say that it's like you know doing uh, psychotherapy on steroids, or you know, you just get much much more benefit from the session itself.
1: Interesting. And then, how many sessions are people like? What's normal? It's not like a long-term thing, right? It's more of like a short-term thing or what are you, what do you do?
0: So, for some people, they just need to do it a couple times and, you know, they're good maybe for six months or maybe for two years or maybe forever. Like, you, you never know. It just kind of depends upon how bad the issue is and how much they get out of the therapy itself. Um, for other people, you know, they may need it more uh, as a long-term, you know, they may need it weekly for, you know, years. And so, you know, for some people, they're able to get out of their trauma fairly quickly. But for some people you know, they're not able to get out of the trauma very quickly. And also they just keep on experiencing more and more of it. So because of that, they're kind of stuck in this, um, you know, loop where they need to kind of continuously need something to kind of pick them up and get them out. So it really does depend upon the patient, but it can be used safely in the long term for sure.
1: Interesting. And like the best candidates for this would be who?
0: So, people who have, you know, tried other, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but it is good for these people. But for people who have tried a lot of different SSRIs or SNRIs, just different antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicines, um, you know, I think they should definitely try ketamine if they've tried all those and they, you know, haven't had uh, any um, success with their other treatments. But I do want to say, though, too, uh, in addition to that, that I don't think you should have to try all those other medicines before you try ketamine, meaning that, like, if you are someone who is feeling down and depressed, and you know, I don't think you should be offered an SSRI, but I also think think you should be offered ketamine as well. Not, I'm not almost saying before. It, it's me.
1: not like oh, the SSRIs aren't working. You got to try ketamine yeah, first. Start exactly. Here. I don't
0: think I don't try think you should like, like have to try yeah. you know two SSRIs because. Generally, you know, when I say treatment resistant depression, uh, the definition for that is to try, you know, two, it's either two or three drugs, you know, for three months or more. And basically you get no relief from them. But, you know, I don't think that you should have to go through that before you have to try ketamine itself so you know um but again you know the people who have tried everything uh you know if you haven't tried ketamine then you haven't tried anything and you have been you haven't tried everything i should say i meant to say but also too it has a different mechanism of action like these other drugs ssri selects uh serotonin reuptake inhibitors you know they work on serotonin right and so uh, ketamine is very different in the fact that it works on an NMDA receptor so they think that that's you know, part of the reason why people get these, you know, robust responses when they're really depressed with ketamine. And so, it does have a completely different mechanism of action than all the other uh, antidepressants, which is why, you know, people still get incredible results even after they've tried those drugs.
1: Interesting. And would you say like trauma-based individuals or like that type of depression is probably more suited? Like, is it work? More- mostly on trauma or can it just be any kind of depression
0: it it can be any kind of depression that's a really good question too and like i don't think we have the answers teased out for that with regards to like you know what's better for like is mdma better for you know a certain type of depression psilocybin better for a certain type of depression like i don't really think we have the the answers on that yet but that is something that i do want to know the answers to and i'm kind of looking forward to what the research does say about that
1: yeah and ketamine's been around for a while like what's the side? like what's the risk i guess
0: yeah so you can go and if you have like large doses you can go into what they call like a k-hole which is you know basically a lot of like paranoia hallucinations you know severe uh you're just tripping out you're just tripping out, out you're in a bad spot you're fighting to death like that's That's the worst that can happen, which is pretty bad, right? Yeah. Um, So, you know, you definitely don't want to get there. For lower doses, people may just feel a little bit, like, unsteady, um, which is probably why people sometimes compare it to, like, a light alcohol intoxication. But for the most part, it's mostly just, like, a pleasant, like, dissociative effect. And actually, I should say, they did a a study, like, just a few weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago where they compared ketamine to anesthesia and anesthesia basically uh produced the same results and so some people like okay well what do you have to say about that and i always felt that like the beneficial effect from ketamine was the dissociative effect like it's basically just giving your brain like a break and so you know i do think that um you know we do need to learn more about it but for some people you know that's kind of just what they need it's just like they just need a break from like thinking about all the trauma and, you know, just through, through, through giving them a break, they can really, you know, have a tremendous therapeutic response and feel a lot better.
1: Interesting. I love it. Um, okay. I'm going back to the cannabis things I just haven't dug in there enough so like what is the main I just feel like the like Huberman's of the world and even like Dak and if you follow him like they've really been blasting I know
0: I've I've seen like
1: big time so I'm just like curious what you think about that
0: sure so like I know I don't know Andrew Huberman that well like we've exchanged a couple emails and we follow each other on uh on Twitter that kind of thing um and I did see his podcast with cannabis you know some of it i thought was excellent some of it i thought was you know maybe a little bit unfair like um you know particularly the part where he was talking about uh lung injuries and and how it can affect you know your your vo2 like there's only been a couple studies done on that and they haven't really shown that there's been uh, much of a like a detrimental effects on like your VO2 max overall, and so um, you know I think that was one area where you maybe could have done a little bit different. Yeah, uh, and then also to um, the longest study uh, that we have uh, with cannabis users using one joint a day, they actually believe it or not had better lung function than the other people. I
1: remember this study this came out like years ago and I totally remember the study because we were like laughing about it and sending it around to our friends. I'm not like a big marijuana user but I just thought that was ironic. Like something about maybe the inhalation was actually like training. It it does
0: bronchodilation so so it it does cause bronchodilation so and I have seen you know I had one kid anyway where you know I started him on CBD oil and his pulmonary function tests improved and so you know again like it's hard to say whether or not it was a cbdo but we did initiate it like right at the time and then they did improve so um you know i do think there's a couple things there that maybe he could have it wasn't bad it was just maybe a little bit like alarmist overall a little bit alarming and then there could have been i think more uh discussions around cbd and some of the other non-psychoactive cannabinoids because yeah we are tremendously beneficial like cbd you know it, it does work for a lot of different things like sometimes like i was saying at the, at the beginning of the show like people do get off two to three different medicines just with cbd oil because it can help with pain it can help with sleep it can help with seizure control you know it can help with the mood it can help you feel better so um you know i do think your that- company is
1: that is your company app pharma that is cbd are you selling cbd or what are you selling in the in your business
0: no so that so Optimine Pharma that's a publicly traded company so um that's uh on on the Canadian stock exchange in Canada so we're actually uh, a a ketamine and a psychedelic company so we're um, now we're trying to get our our license to actually grow psilocybin. And so um, that's kind of uh, where what we're trying to do is to grow psilocybin and then to use it for medicinal purposes and for scientific purposes, research purposes.
1: Okay. So I feel like I need to be taking CBD oil and I'm not taking it. Like what CBD oil should I be taking? Tell me what, what do I need to be doing?
0: So, You know, a lot of people, when they start CBD oil, they say that they feel better. And for whatever reason, a lot of people will just stop taking it for no reason.
1: I mean, and supplements so, are just hard to stay on. I mean, that's just the I truth.
0: Know, I know. I know. It's true. It's true. A lot of, it's it's hard to take the same thing, you know. But every, if you
1: put it in a gummy format, like I'm in for life. If I have to swallow a pill, I'm out. A liquid, I'm kind of not as good on. But if you put it in a gummy format, I'm a customer for life. So, so
0: Again, I don't want to say, like, everyone needs to take CBD every day, like it's a vitamin or something like that, but, you know, it is something that can be uh, taken safely every day, and I and for a lot of people, they do get, you know, a tremendous amount of benefit with almost, like, no detriment. So, like, you know, should you be taking it every day? Like, you know, I might, it, it may make, we haven't, like, chatted about this, but if you are any, like, aches or pains anywhere, like, it may take those down a little bit. Uh, if there's any, like, you know, stress going on, it may help, like, buffer a little bit of stress if there's you know any uh, issues with insomnia, some people find it be helpful for insomnia, although I will say a lot of people find you know THC uh, to be useful for insomnia yeah. as well. So you know I'm not saying that um, you know everyone should take it, but it does have you know a lot of uses and, and very few detriments to it. But in terms of like what kind to take or anything like that, like there's no one brand or anything that like I'm recommending uh, right now per okay. se. Um, so I don't really have any rec- any recommendations. Okay. Yeah.
1: Got it. Um, can it help my heart rate variability? Should I be worried about my heart rate variability, Dr. Hart? It's terrible. It's like nineteen or twenty every night.
0: Okay. So what measurement yes, is that? Yes. Like what on the,
1: that? On, the on the aura ring. On the aura ring.
0: Okay. So I do know a little bit about heart rate but I don't know about like the measurement. Like when you said Got nineteen or twenty, like that didn't really
1: like, You want a like a higher number, like
0: yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I should say I know what it is, but I didn't I didn't know how to like quantify it, it based upon the 19 to 20 that you gave me. Like I've never yeah. looked into the uh the quantity of it.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I just know my heart rate variability sucks, so I'm trying to figure out maybe CBD, maybe I should try CBD and see if my heart rate variability goes up any.
0: I think you should. I think I'm you should. I'm going to I'm going to go Let me know how it goes.
1: Um Cool. Okay. So you also wrote a book about friend called Friendly Fire Why Vets Are Ditching Pills and Lighting Up to Treat PTSD. So tell me about this. This is fascinating.
0: Sure. So, um, you know, when I started uh, prescribing cannabis, there was a lot of vets that started coming to uh, my practice, and a lot of veterans, as we know, suffer from PTSD or post traumatic stress disorder. Um, you know, the stat that I continually hear in the states is that like 22 vets a day are are killing themselves, and you know, in Canada we had more vets actually die from PGSD even than from than in the Afghanistan war. So you know we know that it's 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 a it's a pretty big deal that it, it vets and and that it affects the veteran population you know uh, significantly more than the civilian population and so a lot of these guys you know couldn't sleep at night had severe ptsd uh and they were getting treatments that just weren't working for them so you know different pharmaceutical drugs whether it was you know, and again, I'm not saying all these drugs are bad, but whether it's trazodone or, or Zopaclone or, you know, any other Z drugs or, you know, some people were even on benzodiazepines, you know, SSRIs. Again, I'm not, not saying that there's no place for these drugs, but, you know, when you're using, you know, a ton of them at once, sometimes it can definitely be more problematic. And so a lot of guys just weren't getting the relief that they were, you know, looking for. Um, and then when they had tried cannabis, they had gotten the relief, um, you know, particularly for, the, uh, anxiety and for, you know, just giving their brain like a bit of a break, you know, just like I was talking about with like the ketamine and and to get, and for helping them sleep at night. And so, um, you know, I knew that this was, uh, something that I wanted to pursue. So I kind of, uh, joined with some other veterans, met some other veterans. And for a while I was almost, Not working exclusively with veterans, but I was doing, you know, uh, most of my work was with, uh, was with veterans. And again, the results with cannabis were fantastic. But again, I'm saying cannabis, I'm not saying like high THC all the time. So you know, CBD, and this is important for, for PTSD. So there was one study now it was done on rats, but it showed that CBD actually decreased learned fear. And so basically that's what PTSD is. You know, it's learned fear because, you know, a lot of veterans, they're, not just afraid to go out to like like a busy bar or like a restaurant something like that like they're afraid to go to like the grocery store right and like everyone needs to go to the grocery store to get their food to to get things done right unless you're living off the land somewhere in alaska or something yeah but most people need to go to the grocery store so you know for them not to be able to do simple tasks really affects their their function and so no one's born afraid to do that but that's something that was learned you know through life experiences and through trauma and so when you give someone cbd it can help reduce that learned fear and get them back to a place where you know they can, in fact, go to you know the grocery store. Now I'm not I'm making it a little bit you know simpler than it is, and you know yeah. sometimes you need to do you know some uh, exposure therapy in there as well, which is you know far the best treatment for anxiety or ptsd like by a landslide is what
1: exposure therapy is
0: yeah you need to expose yourself to things in order to get over it like if you say like you know oh i don't have ptsd or anxiety anymore because i just stay in my room all day it's like well you didn't really beat anything you didn't get over anything you're just sort of like isolating yourself, right? But what you want to do is you want to get back to being like a high-functioning person. And so you need to expose yourself to the things that you're afraid to. But you just don't want to go too far. So, you know, maybe the first time you go to the grocery store when it's like 10 p.m. at night and you take someone with you. You know, maybe the next time you go at like you know, 10 o'clock at, at, at night, but you don't take someone with you. And then you just kind of, eventually you get to a point where you can just go whenever you want on your own, but you do it gradually. Um, so, you know, through using techniques like that, and then also through using medicines like CBD and THC, um, you know, you can get people back to a point where they, you know, no longer meet the criteria for have P- for have for PTSD and then are just functioning normally.
1: So this is like a public service announcement for all of us to be doing more of the things that scare us. I feel like that's my big takeaway here. Even regard, even if you don't have PTSD, don't you think?
0: That's right. Definitely.
1: Yeah. I like it. That's Um, way you grow. It's true. It's true. So I keep hammering on this, but I'm just like very curious. I have three boys under the age of five. So like you talk about cannabis like side effects in teenage boys. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Like I think back to my high school days, like, this is terrifying. Like, do you think that we have an increase in like depression and anxiety in like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 year olds today, because we had so many people smoking weed in their teenage years?
0: Um, it's hard to, to say, I mean, I wouldn't say it's zero but I wouldn't say it's like an alarming number either. But I would say that there's, you know, everyone knows someone who smoked too much pot in high school and seemed to like never recover kind of thing. And, you know, would that person have, you know, been okay? Or if they didn't have the pot, like, would they have just kind of been messed up anyway? Like maybe, but I do think again, like, you got to be careful with that. Like, teenage, uh, with those teenage years. And I do think that, you know, if you do smoke during those years, you can potentially, you know, have an increased risk for depression or or anxiety later on in, in life. So, you know, to answer your question, like, you know, yes, but I just don't know what the, uh, what the exact, you know, number is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then what about like for the 40 uh, year old, like myself, like what should, what's, what are your, like the people you're debating on Joe Rogan and what are they all saying? What's the downside? Like, what do we need to be worried about if we're not like a teenager?
0: So if you're you know not a teenager, what you need to be worried about, what you should look at first is your family history and personal history. So, you know, if you have schizophrenia, if you have bipolar, if you have psychosis, you know, if you've been um, hospitalized, you know, for, for mental health disorders, like repeatedly, like that may not be the best medicine for you, right? Okay. So I think you have to go through a bit of a of a screening process. And, you know, I'm not against, you know, recreational cannabis whatsoever, but if you are looking to use it medicinally, I do think the best way to do it is to talk to a doctor about it. And so, you know, that's the way that I think it should be done if you're, if you want to use it in a in a medicinal manner.
1: Yeah. And you keep mentioning, like, we're talking cannabis, not just THC. So when you say that, do you, does that mean, does cannabis like include the CBD and the THC and other things? Like, is cannabis a full thing or?
0: No, I mean, that's all like weed, pot, cannabis. It's all, I guess, could encompass the whole plant and include all the, all the The cannabinoids. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you think that's important? Like, don't just be isolating out the THC and putting it in a gummy with, do they do that? And then you miss all the other cannabinoids and you just have THC.
0: Yeah, you could get, you know, a gummy where you're, you're basically just getting THC and, you know, it's it's okay maybe in lower doses to do that sometimes. But, but for you like
1: whole plant, whole plant medicine here.
0: Whole plant for sure. And, and I, I'm a big believer of using CBD with THC because if you use high THC all the time, you will develop a tolerance to it. But if you oh. use THC with CBD, you're much, much likely less to develop a tolerance to it.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. Why is that?
0: Well, so CBD is—it's basically an antagonist of the agonist of the of THC. So more or less, it's going to block some of the effects of of the THC. And then also, too, CBD has its own kind of rescue memory uh, mechanisms of actions that we've identified in in several studies. So it seems like it may, in fact, uh, improve your memory. And so um, I think that you know when you're using. Uh, THC, it's always best to use C B D as almost like a protectant.
1: Cool. So you would add on like a supplement. Like you would, yeah. And when you're smoking weed, you're getting like the full plant, right? In most instances, I would assume.
0: So like you can get whole flour that's like pure THC. And you can get whole flour that's like pure C B D even, which a lot of people don't know about. You can get yeah. whole flour that's like half THC, half half C B D. So you know, you can say you're smoking the whole plant, but you could still be smoking basically just THC. So um, I know the wording can kind of be confusing. Yeah, this
1: is very nuanced. I had no idea. I mean, I thought it was like you just have to decide if you want to like clean your house or go to sleep. And that was like the two decisions you needed to make. But this is like a whole, a whole other thing. Is there a difference in like gummies versus smoking? Do you have a preference?
0: Yeah. So there's, there's a big, there's a big difference. Um, so when you smoke, obviously it hits you like immediately, like within seconds to a minute, you're, you're high right away. Right. And then the, which is an advantage if you want, you know, immediate relief from something, but the downside of that, you know, besides the, the potential lung effects, um, is that it also leaves your body quickly. So within about one to three hours, you know, that effect is probably going to be gone. Uh, whereas when you use an edible, it takes maybe 30 minutes, sometimes even one to two hours for it to fully kick in. And then it's in your system for like six to eight hours. So, you know, if you're looking for like something quick, then obviously, you know, smoking or vaping is better. But if you're looking for, you know, something that's going to last in your system for like throughout the whole night then that's when you would want to use an edible. And that's why an edible, you know, would be better for helping you stay asleep. Like sure, the the flour, or the vape might be good for helping you get to sleep because it hits you quickly, but the edible is what's going to help you, is what's going to stain your system all night to help you stay asleep.
1: Got it. that makes sense. And what about like studies on side effects of either, is it kind of the same or.
0: So, um, you know, THC obviously has, you know, quite a few side effects, very different than the CBD. So, you know, THC in the wrong person can cause psychosis or, you know, a schizophrenic outbreak. If you do have, you know, family history, again, I don't think you should be using high THC. So there's some, you know, pretty serious risks there. And even if you don't have those things you're, in your in your family history, some people just get, you know, a little bit paranoid from using too much THC. Yeah. Um, CBD, very, very minimal side effects. Uh, you may feel a little bit tired if you use too much Um, that's really probably the biggest one. Some people report a slight headache, but overall pretty minimal side effects with CBD.
1: So we should be taking it when we're taking our THC and is it addictive or not? Like, I feel like this is another one of these like cannabis debates. Do we know?
0: So if you use high THC, uh, cannabis all the time, you definitely can become addicted to it and can become dependent on it. So, you know, I, I believe that a hundred percent. Um, and I do think that if you use high THC all the time, right, I should say I know, and then you stop, you will have, you know, some withdrawal effects where you'll feel irritable, you know, you'll feel moody. Uh, you won't be able to sleep well at night or you're just not going to feel well in general. Um, CBD is a lot different. They've done some, some, uh, studies on CBD where they've, you know, given people some pretty high doses, uh, for a while. And then they have just abruptly stopped it and then they don't get any side effects at all. So, you know, I think that THC is definitely has a, an addictive uh, component to it. CBD much, much less so though, or none, none at all, I should say.
1: I'm loving CBD. I got to tell you after this, I'm just like, I'm sold. Um, Okay. Moving on a little bit. um, What trends are you seeing in the nutrition and fitness space? I know you're passionate about just health and wellness beyond psychedelics and cannabis. So I'm just curious what you're seeing out there in the nutrition and fitness space.
0: Well, maybe I'm just kind of locked in my own bubble a little bit, but I feel like more and more people are getting into MMA. Do you find that?
1: Oh, interesting. I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't find that, but I feel like I'm not in that in that segment.
0: Well, I see you see like Elon Musk is training now. You okay, see okay, fair enough. Yeah, uh, I've seen a couple like comedians were on uh, Rogan recently, like Brian Callens training, uh, Andrew Schultz is training. Like, seems like, and again, maybe it's just my own bubble and the people that uh-huh. I like follow, but I find that that's kind of like blown up recently, which I think is is awesome. Um, but in maybe the uh, nutrition side, I feel like there's a lot of discussion around Dr. Peter Atias book, Longevity. And I feel like there's a lot of discussion around cholesterol and and saturated fats and fiber. Um, again, maybe it's me and my own bubble a little bit, but like when he put out that book longevity, which I love, like I, I read it like front to back. Like I, I studied that book and like, you know, I did see what he wrote about, um, you know, the APOB and, and a few other markers there that he mentioned, but, um, I'm still sort of like figuring out my own thoughts on cholesterol overall. And they are very, very nuanced. Like it would take me like, I can, I'm happy to like share them, but it's, uh, it's, it's a subject that I feel like a lot of people are still debating right now. And people seem to be on like one side or the other, you know? Yeah.
1: I would love to hear your thoughts. Also, Tia's like pretty big on like put him on statins like early. Isn't he like early intervention with statins? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm just, that's hard for me to wrap my head around. But anyway.
0: Yeah. So I'll give you a few, a few things on this. I'll try to make this, this is probably going to take me 10 or 15 minutes to get through. I don't know. Um, So I started out, like like I said before the show, I knew Rob Wolf, like, uh, or it was on his podcast, sorry, in like 2014. So I was really on this like paleo trend in like 2010, 2011, that that kind of thing. And I felt like, you know, maybe we have been duped a little bit. Maybe, you know, saturated fats don't have any, you know, say in in causing cholesterol. Maybe they don't cause, or sorry, heart disease and that kind of thing. And so I've been through – that phase where I was like one of those people. I've like also. A paleo to, person. Yeah. Paleo, yeah. paleo. Where
1: you're like but, bacon, butter, bring it on. Everything's fine. We're good. Yeah.
0: Did the butter yeah. and the coffee for a while thing, yeah. you know, did, did all that kind of stuff. Um, So, you know, I've been through that phase before. I also really like Lane Norton. I yeah, think. That he's I follow pretty, him. Yeah. I think he's fantastic overall. I think he's one of the, one of the top guys on, on nutrition. And so. You know, he is less into the, you know, uh, just do paleo, just be keto, and less focus more on energy balance, calories in, calories out, and, like, keeping your protein intake pretty high. And I've kind of he's gone... He's also,
1: like, carb cycling, too, isn't he? I mean, he's, like, bodybuilder type. Like, people yeah, train he, him for figure competitions and stuff, don't they?
0: Yeah, they do. And, I mean, he's he's a pretty big powerlifter himself.
1: Yeah. Like, so he
0: goes to, like, world... Um, competitions and stuff. I know I'm kind of getting off topic with, uh, no, I like this with the uh, cholesterol, but like, so like what I'm trying to get is like, I've been one of these people who is like hardcore paleo. Let's just do the butter, the bacon, whatever the, whatever. And, 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 you know, f- uh, forget about the rest. We're going to be great because we're not eating carbs. So I've been one of those people before. And then I have looked at, you know, Lay Norton stuff a lot over the last few years. And I've looked at a lot more research and I'm still, you know, a little bit confused on an overall because like you're saying it's not just peter artia like we just mentioned i've heard kyle Gillette, who's really fantastic he's been on who've been a couple times i think he takes a a statin um kevin bass who i respect a lot uh he takes that but i actually think he stopped his so i'm actually curious why why he stopped his Um, and then so anyways a few people that i really respect and admire are on like the lipid lowering side so it's hard for me to ignore that now the part where i get a little bit confused though is when you look at statins you know when you look at the all-cause mortality and like do people actually live longer when they take it they don't live longer like they when they've done these studies the people end up living like literally like a few days longer and so you know and i know Atia's book was on longevity and then he's talking about statins but you know the direct intervention of statins itself doesn't seem to produce longevity. You know, it doesn't seem to extend life in any way. Now, they'll point to, you know, LDL uh, Mendelian randomization trials where you know it's people with like certain genetic biomarkers have you know very uh, low LDL, and you know they do in fact. It seems like in some of these trials, you know, do live longer with lower LDL, but. The issue there is that like, that's not what these people are doing. Like, I'm not one of these people with, you know, certain uh, genetic predispositions that predispose me to an LDL. I'm someone with a normal predisposition that would have to take yeah. a statin to get a low that LDL. Is. So yeah. that kind of, you know, bothers me a little bit. And then also too, there has been some evidence that shows that it can increase your risk of diabetes statins again, I'm, I'm talking about. And so, you know, that bothers me. Type yeah, two cities, type yeah. 2 di- di- diabetes. So, you know, if you look at longevity, um, you know, it doesn't show that they can, that people who take statins live longer. You may, in fact, increase your risk of diabetes. So, you know, there's a couple cons there. Now, some people may say, and I don't know what the answer is to this, but some people may say, but that's just because you know, people who take statins are generally unhealthy anyway. And so, you know, they're probably just going to not live as long as people who are not taking statins. Fair argument, but I don't know if that's, you know, true or not, but it is something that we that we do have to kind of like tease out. Um, and then there was another study that I actually tweeted out recently where it showed that people uh, who had the highest total cholesterol and LDL actually lived longer, you know, and they even said in the conclusions, like paradoxically, like the people, you know, in the top 10% of cholesterol live longer than the the people in the bottom 90% of, you know, however they kind of phrased it. Um, so, you know, it is a very, very strange, you know, subject overall. Yeah. And so, um, you know, where does that leave me and, and what am I doing? So like, I'm not on a statin, uh, but I do try to you know, limit-ish my saturated fat intake. So, you know, I mean, I'll have, like, four eggs in in a day. Like, that's fine. But, you know, I'll eat, like, more, like, leaner cuts of beef. Um, I get more, say, like, you know, strep loins or sirloin, say, over, you know, like a ribeye or filet, that kind of thing. And, uh, and I do have uh, about 25 grams of psyllium husk fiber per day. And so, I am trying to, you know, lower my cholesterol to a certain level but i don't want to uh i'm not in the camp quite yet of like i'm just going to do whatever i can to get my ldl down and i'm not like again maybe i'll change my mind soon but i'm not uh ready now to take a statin either yeah. Like i just I'm, I'm just not right now yeah. so well, well it's happens. like,
1: are we even are we majoring in the minors here? Like, maybe it sounds like if we don't even know, like we're all worried about this cholesterol. Thing is that even like the thing we should be worried about, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's I, I did see a study recently that showed that we should be actually worried about CRP more than cholesterol. So, C-reactive protein, which is an excellent uh, marker if you're doing your blood work for overall inflammation. You know, I order on my patients like basically all the time, every time I do blood work. Yeah, so that's absolutely. something that's that's uh, you know been shown to be high co- correlated with with heart disease and then just the other basic things as well. Like, is your blood pressure well controlled? Yeah. Is your waist circumference low and your BMI? When I say low, like in a, in a healthy range, you have a decent amount of muscle mass, you know, are you exercising exercise? Probably should have said that first. It's probably um, the biggest thing. So, you know, there are uh, it's again, that's a good point. Like cholesterol is just one risk factor for, you know, cardiovascular disease. So
1: it is a hot one No. So when CRP comes back high, what do you do with people?
0: So it's, it's a, it's a good question. I usually actually tell them to take curcumin because oh, I sure. have seen some studies that have shown that curcumin can decrease CRP and um, I've seen it in my practice as well. So, you know, I don't have, there's unfortunately no, like, you know, pharmaceutical drug out there that I'm aware of that, you know, is prescribed for patients to lower CRP. But um yeah, curcumin. I'm not sure too. I almost want to check right now while we're doing this if uh if cocu ten does. I'm not sure if it does, but there um it might. So I think it does. I feel like it does. Kind of look
1: coq ten is like one. I see that's one. Talk about supplements you start and then don't stand. For my migraines, that's like a big one. But
0: Oh, so yeah, migraines though—that's what cannabis is incredible for.
1: Oh, really? But yeah. I've been pregnant yeah. or breastfeeding. Are you ready for this for five and a half years straight? So
0: holy shit! Yeah, you've been busy.
1: I've been busy, so I haven't been able to do any cannabis in my life. But I feel like I'm getting there. I'm I'm close. Like you know, my- there,
0: there there are cannabinoids in breast milk. There are. Yeah, there are cannabinoids in breast. So, milk.
1: do you, would you be worried about taking <laughs> cannabis though when you're breastfeeding?
0: I mean, I don't advise people to take uh, cannabis when when they're breastfeeding, but there are natural uh, cannabinoids in breast milk, which is just kind of interesting. Yeah, Yeah. that
1: is interesting. You know what supplement I'm obsessed with is monolaurin. That's also, I think, in breast milk. But whenever I get sick, I just pop these monolorins, three in the morning, three at night. I think it's like another thing that's in breast milk. And its I swear, like if it's a virus, like my whole family got the flu, I didn't get sick. And I have like
0: very interesting yeah what, you gotta
1: look into what's mono- that i don't know it's in breast milk Mono, look it up maybe it's kind of like a classroom type thing but a doctor in la once told me about it for like flu season and i'm i'm like swearing by it i'm a bit of a supplement junkie so i, I like-
0: do supplements too so what oh do you take goodness. what
1: are you doing over there what are you eating these days are you more on the carniv- carnivore trend now obviously not if you're having all this fiber where are you on the diet these days
0: Sure, I you know what I feel like it's almost best if I just tell you exactly what I eat and yeah, left, yeah, I like, want to hear because I because I don't have like I'm not following like a diet. I'm just no, no.
1: I want to hear exactly a day in the life. What are you eating?
0: Sure. So I'm someone who I don't really build muscle particularly easily. So for myself, I don't do too much intermittent fasting. I actually find it really easy to do, like to go 16 hours without eating. But me too. Um, so I almost have to like force myself to. Uh, have something in the morning. So generally in the morning, I'll have a protein shake. Um, and when I mean a protein shake, I mean literally just a scoop of whey protein with a little bit of sealing husk fiber. And that, that's it. Just to start some off. some
1: water, like, or almond milk or something?
0: No, just in water. Just some water. Okay. Yeah.
1: Primal Kitchen and has then, the best tasting whey protein. So I'm going to send you some. Just FYI, you need to have it in your life. It's so good.
0: Oh Well, I'm I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to trying that. Um, but also too, I should just maybe say when I get up in the morning, I do crush um, a, uh, element pack assault yeah. usually every, okay. every morning. And then I get my, my five minutes of sun and then I kind of delay my coffee then for, uh, about an hour, maybe to an hour and a half, at least an hour. And then I just have uh black coffee, uh, in the morning. So just one coffee to start. And then what I do is I put like four shots, although it's half caffeinated in my, in my thermos. And I just kind of sip on that all day and I stop around two. but I'll get back to my diet, but that's still kind of part of my diet. The coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so lunch, I usually have four eggs every single day
1: okay. and
0: then with the eggs, uh, sometimes there's some leftover chili like there was today. So I'll have a little bit of that. I'll throw that in there, uh, with it. And then sometimes in addition to that, I'll have like a scoop of greens powder. Uh, so, um, Uh, The one I'm using now is by ATP Labs. And then I might might throw in some extra spirulina in there. And then I'll have some fiber again. And then if, like I said, if I don't feel like I'm getting quite enough protein, then I'll top it up with a little bit more whey protein. And that's kind of what I do, you know, for most of the… Are you just
1: doing eggs over easy, like fried in butter? Are you doing hard-boiled eggs?
0: So I take the smallest amount of butter just to coat the pan. And then I just uh, scramble them. Every time, yeah. And that that works for me. Sometimes use a little bit of salsa as well uh, to kind of give a little bit of flavor. Um, And then that takes me up basically until I usually work out. So I usually work out after work. So usually sometime between five to seven o'clock. And then before uh, I work out, sometimes I might need, you know, something to kind of get me going. So I might have a little bit of like a protein bar or something like that. But a lot of times I don't have anything. And then after I work out, I'll have two, sometimes even. Three scoops of, of whey protein. And then I have a ton of berries in a shake with it. I put some sauerkraut in there as well. Um, and then I'll put in usually a zucchini or cucumber, a couple different vegetables with that. And then after that, that's kind of when I have like my main like massive meal. So an hour or so after my shake, I'll have like sometimes like a pound of like beef, like of just like chili, something like that. For example, like that's what I had the other night. Um, and then I'll have some potatoes or some. Or, or some rice with it so I might have like two full potatoes or i might have like you know several cups of, of rice like i need the the carbohydrates to kind of keep weight on me like i said like i would i would probably wouldn't say like i'm a hard hard gainer but for me to maintain like 200 pounds i'm around one. i need to like just shove like the the food into me or, or i just won't be able to maintain um so yeah, I usually have uh, the the potatoes or, or rice with it. And potatoes, actually, I know we, you know, sometimes people demonize them, but and you probably know this, but they're the number one food on the uh, satiety index. I mean, that's the food that'll make you feel the most full. You white know, potatoes well. and sweet potatoes
1: or just white potatoes?
0: Uh, I saw white potatoes, but that's a really yeah. good question. I imagine sweet potatoes would be right up there too. Yeah, we
1: really freshers. vilified potatoes in the paleo space. Mark reversed he reversed on that like pretty early. Yeah. And, like, the potatoes so that are cooked and cooled. You have a huge source of resistant starch. Like, I mean, there's a lot of benefit there and I had no idea about the satiety. So that's super interesting. Love yeah.
0: it. Yeah. And sometimes too, like I'll have, if I do have bread at all, like if I have like a burger at night, um, I'll use like gluten-free sourdough bread. And uh, you know, it's not quite the same, I guess, as like, you know, having just a, gen, a general sort of like, you know, burger uh, burger buns, but they still do the job and they're still yeah. pretty tasty.
1: Cool. Yeah. um, I love it. And what supplements, like what are your favorite supplements you're taking these days? What do you think?
0: Favorite supplements. So obviously whey protein is, you know, a, yeah. a, just a staple of mine. Creatine is another big staple of mine. Uh, fish oil is, is another big staple, um, in terms of, of other ones, everything else I kind of like fluctuate with a little bit. Um, but lately there's a supplement city choline that I've been using. I think Mm -hmm. that's been. Is that like a
1: phosphatidyl choline type thing?
0: Yes. So it's basically supposed to help with like memory, verbal fluency, uh, that kind of thing. And I think that does have an effect and, I, and it does have an effect. I've seen a couple studies anywhere where it, where it has a beneficial effect in healthy volunteers, whereas like a lot of the supplements, you know, like I think like a CLL carnitine, for example, I mean, maybe there's a new one out, but I think that's only been shown to like slow like dementia in like older adults or maybe restore some cognitive impairment to older adults. But what do you want to look for is a stuff that like, you know, improves healthy functioning adults. So like, you know, city calling, um, is, is one that I've tried recently. I found that to be pretty helpful overall. Um, yeah, I'm kind of a little me. bit boring there with that right now. No, I but. love
1: it. That's great. Creatine, I feel like is really having a moment. I just feel like creatine was like something the football players took when I was in high school and now like everybody's taking creatine, but it's got yeah. a lot of like neuroprotective benefits and absolutely. I, I mean, I, people- I,
0: like, I think every senior should be taking creatine. Like, there's almost no reason not to take it. Like, it's going to help you retain your muscle mass. It's going to help give you a little bit more energy. So, you're going to be able to do more. So, you're going to be able to exercise more, which is, you know, very beneficial there in and of of itself. Also, it's great for uh, slowing cognitive decline, like you were just mentioning. So, and it's very, very safe. Like, it's all like bullshit about it, like being hard on your kidneys or anything like that. Like if you're just taking like five grams of creatine a day, uh, very, very safe supplement. And and like you just said, it's not just for like football players or bodybuilders. It's for like your mom. It's for your dad. It's for your grandma. Like it's for everyone.
1: I love it. This was awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. We're almost out of town. I have one last question I ask everyone, but what is something most people don't know about you?
0: Hmm. <laughs> Well, I think the people who know me obviously know where I'm from, but a lot of people don't know that I'm from St. John's, Newfoundland. So I oh, would
1: not uh, have guessed that.
0: Yeah. So it's an island on the uh, east coast of Canada. Uh But what else? Okay. One other thing maybe that you wouldn't uh think. I almost only res- listen to rap music, which makes no sense because I'm from like the whitest place in the world, like I just described yeah and i'm almost a 40 year old white dude and it's still the only thing that i listen to but i see i love it but a lot of people still i think are uh in the same boat like they thought that like oh when i'm like older i'll like grow out of this kind of thing but now it's just kind of become like adult music which is kind of interesting
1: this is great i love it thank you so much this was awesome can you let everyone know where they can find you personally and anything else you want to let them know
0: Sure. Great. So uh, I have my own podcast called the Heart to Heart podcast, and you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. It's all at Dr. Mike Hart. So D-R-M-I-K-E-H-A-R-T. And uh, Morgan, thank you so much for having me on. I've had a great time chatting with
1: you. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks so much.